Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Learning with the Lion, a community read-through of the Gospel of Mark. Over the summer of 2023, members of the Ligonier community are coming together to walk through a 13-week exploration of Jesus' life, practicing reading the Bible together and asking what it means for everyday life. For more information, visit epiphanyligonier.org mark, where you can also sign up for our companion e-newsletter. How do we know exactly that the Bible is accurate? Critics of the Bible have an often repeated analogy for how we come to the Bible we have today. They compare it to the children's game of telephone. Did you ever play telephone when you were a kid? Children would sit in a circle, and one of them would whisper a word or a phrase into their neighbor's ear. And so it would go around the circle, each child whispering quietly into their neighbor a particular word or phrase, until it came to the last child in the circle. And that person, that last child, would say out loud the phrase that they thought that they heard and compare it to the original phrase. So the original phrase may be something inane, like, I see seven ships sailing on the sea. And by the time it went from child to child, all the way around the circle, over time, the final child would say something like, I eat seven chips and then I have to go pee. (laughs) The laughter ensues and the kids have a good time. Uh, One time, in fact, I played this game when I was in a daycare program, and there was a kid in my class who loved raccoons, and he decided to be cheeky and ruin the game. And so the original phrase was something, again, fairly inane, something like, roses are my favorite flowers. And he just decided to change the phrase to, I love raccoons. (laughs) And so when the final person said out loud, I love raccoons, everyone looked at this one kid who cackled with glee that he had messed up his game with his love of raccoons. (laughs) And critics of the Bible are wrong to compare the Bible and its reliability to this children's game, as if from generation to generation, Bible scholars, scribes, oral tradition, that these things have been passed down, and over time, they become corrupted. And so we don't know actually what Jesus said or what these disciples said as a result. How can we know what the Bible means, they argue, when this transmission is suspect? Do we really think that the medieval scribes of old didn't insert their own, you know, metaphorical love of raccoons into their copying? Do we really think the Bible, as we have it, is without error? And the answer is yes, it is absolutely reliable. We have tens of thousands of manuscripts to compare and to study to confirm that we have the most accurate version of the Bible that we possibly could. Some New Testament fragments are as old as 125 A.D., meaning that they are as old as the second generation of Christians who studied under the apostles. Some Old Testament manuscript fragments we have B.C., as old as 600 B.C. And by comparing and contrasting all of these documents, we have a nearly uniform confirmation of what the Bible says. The number that the scholars give us is 99.5%. And that means across these tens of thousands of documents and manuscripts, old and new, 99.5% of them are exactly the same. And 95.5% is fantastic compared to, say, the writings of Aristotle or Plato, which don't have nearly as much overlap. The Bible is airtight. If we're going to say that the Bible is inaccurate in what it has to say, then we could just throw out history altogether. 
Because every ancient thinker or historian or every ancient philosopher, well, if the Bible's accurate, then we can't possibly trust anything that was written by any other ancient person. And so if we're going to treat the Bible as we treat these other historical documents about people like Plato or Aristotle or Caesar or anything like that, well, then we can firmly rely on the Bible's accuracy. But what about that other 0.5%? What about that half a percent? Is that something we should be worried about? The answer is no, and here's why. First off, that half a percent is recorded in the footnotes of every Bible out there. If you've got a good Bible, you will find in the footnotes all of those verses which fall into that half of a percent. In our reading this week, we actually have an example of that. Mark 11.26, in your footnotes, it will tell you that it's not found in many manuscripts. And so we've got this footnote system where we're completely upfront, and we say there's an issue here with this particular verse, this particular word, this particular phrase. The second reason we don't have to worry about these half a percent, well, they can be traced back to well-meaning intentions. So in our reading from Mark 11.26, this verse that we're not quite sure exactly what to do with it because it doesn't appear in many manuscripts, it has Jesus teaching about forgiveness. And so the verse in question says this, but if you do forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Now that's the line that doesn't appear in many manuscripts. But you know where it does show up? The same idea is in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's likely that some very well-meaning but misguided scribe at some point added this line into Mark's Gospel, and it got copied and copied and copied until a lot of manuscripts actually had that line in it. Much like my friend who loved raccoons, this scribe felt it was necessary to bring Mark's Gospel in line with the other Gospels, and added this extra teaching as a result. It shouldn't be there, but in most Bibles, we make that clear by making a note in the footnotes. Mark 11:26, probably not in the original thing that Jesus said, and probably not part of what Mark originally wrote. The third reason we don't have to worry about that final half a percent is that we can figure out what most of these errors actually mean. One scholar explained it like this. Imagine that we spread out a copy of the preamble of the U.S. Constitution, and we gave thousands of copies out to everyone, but there was a mistake in the first line, and it began something like this. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect onion. <laughs> now, that's very silly. We do not exist as the United States to form a more perfect onion. But it's pretty clear, and a reasonable person would be able to intuit that the word should not be onion, but union. One word makes a lot of sense. It's a typo, easy to make on a keyboard, which is to say that the 0.5% of what's left of the Bible, we can still intuit fairly reasonably what the original intent of the gospel writers are, even if there are some strange mistakes like this one in which onions and unions are confused. Finally, the fourth reason we don't worry? Well, there's nothing that's core to the Christian faith that's mixed up in this half a percent. The Bible is clear. God made the world. We screwed it up. Jesus died and rose again, and he's coming back to fix the world, and he forgives sins. None of this is up for grabs. So as we come to the end of our time in Mark, this actually becomes much more important. As your Bible will tell you, the earliest manuscripts of Mark's gospel end at chapter 16, verse 8 which ends at the women leaving the tomb in fear after hearing that Jesus had risen. 
it's likely that some well-meaning but misguided scribe at some point added more to the end of the gospel to make it more in line with Luke and Matthew. When we study Mark's gospel, we're going to end it at verse 8, trusting that this seemingly awkward ending is just what Mark wanted. This seems like a lot to take in, but here's my hope. I sincerely hope that you come to see that the Bible is more trustworthy because of this examination of manuscripts and not less trustworthy. And I hope that you find more reason to trust God as a result, because despite some acrimonious voices to the contrary, we have God's word given to us as it was meant to be. How wonderful it is to know that we have the very words of God in our very hands, as trustworthy to the secular world for its content as it is to us for its life-giving power. Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.